Good morning, Church of West Franklin. I, I feel extra honored to, to be here uh, in the position of giving you, sharing the word of God with you today. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. If you have your Bible with you, there's, uh, you can open up to that. If you have your handy Acts scripture journal, that's great too. Uh, there's a Bible in the, under the seat that you're at, most likely, if you don't have one. But again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 6 in just a moment. Uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, a thought from my childhood kept coming back to my mind over and over and over again. I had a Sunday school teacher who, uh, for years, had this, this analogy that always stuck with me. She maybe only said it once, but I, I, I'm pretty sure she said it every single week. She talked about being in her kitchen, washing dishes, and praying that God would just send a lightning bolt to strike her backyard and burn out letters in the grass that tell her what direction she's supposed to go with her life. It's kind of a funny picture. But what was funnier is that we talked about that every single week. <laughs> it didn't matter what the lesson was about. It was, if it was Balaam's donkey, we would get to application and she would be like, well, you know, I'm still praying at my kitchen window for God to send a lightning bolt into my backyard and spell out the answers of what I'm supposed to do with this. If it was Paul's letter to the Galatians where he's talking about the Judaizers and we're explaining that, you know, we get to application. I wish God would just send down a lightning bolt in my backyard, burn out a letter in the grass, and God tell me what I'm supposed to do. It felt like it was every single week. The older I got, though, the more I started to understand that prayer, and also the more I started to wonder what was going on with her. Um... <laughs> But I think that, that we can all look back at that kind of prayer, and, and we've been there in life. We've found places in our lives where, where we've been praying a prayer of God, would you just make it clear what I'm supposed to do here? If we've been following the Lord for a while, there are times in life where we know that we want to honor God. We know we want to make the right choice. We know we want to do what's going to bring him uh, the most joy, the most honor, the most praise. Uh, we want our lives to be used for him, but we, when it comes down to it, we don't know what that step is. In a second, we're going to find Paul and Timothy in a similar position, and we'll see how they respond to the Lord and how he uses them. If you would, stand with me in honor of God's word. Again, we're going to be reading in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. They, being Paul and Timothy went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Then they came to Mysia. They tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which the Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the word that you preserved for us. Thank you for the example of Paul and Timothy and Luke. Uh, I pray that their story, that your words, your inspired word, would speak to us. Spirit, would you help me to decrease so that you may increase? Would you make much of yourself through this text? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. At this stage, 
Paul and Timothy have just recently, Paul has just recently left that first church meeting you heard Matt preach about last week if you were here, the first ever recorded church business meeting, uh, and they have news to share. So Paul is traveling from Jerusalem to the areas around Jerusalem, uh, proclaiming the news of the council, strengthening churches that are already there. And then he takes on this young guy named Timothy to come with him, to be a helper for him, to learn from him. And, and they've, they've communicated this to churches that already exist, encouraged them, teaching them something. And now they've set their eyes on the next step. They've walked through and gone through the, the, the regions around Jerusalem. And now they're ready to take the gospel to places that have never heard it before. Uh, but the weird thing is they get stopped. First by the Holy Spirit then by the spirit of Jesus, and, and they keep getting redirected every which way they try to go, which is especially odd when you consider that what they're doing is exactly what Jesus has asked the church to do. Earlier, Luke records what we would call most often the Great Commission in Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, he says, he, he tells them that the step one is you receive the spirit. Step two is you go and be my witnesses. There it is on the screen you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you go out and serve as witnesses, and you do it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, okay? So Paul and Timothy have received the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, check. Now they're going out as witnesses. They start even in Jerusalem. They, remember, he leaves the Jerusalem council to go. He's, he's starting in Jerusalem to start this missionary journey. He's done Jerusalem. He goes to Judea. He goes to Samaria. And now he sets his eyes on the ends of the earth, following exactly what Jesus has asked them to do. And the Holy Spirit blocks them. One thing that I want you to see from what Paul and, and Timothy are doing is that discerning what God is calling us to is an active event not a passive one. The commission that Jesus has given his church is active, not passive. I know if it were me, I would have a tendency to hit the first roadblock and just kind of stop there. To hit the first roadblock and find a shady tree and say, okay, well, God doesn't want me to go here. I'm just going to wait for the vision now. Surely God's going to tell me which way to go. Right? Or maybe if I don't know which way to move forward, uh, I'll go to Barnes & Noble to the self-help section and find something. To, uh, I've identified a problem. I, I need to go find a book to help me figure out how to get past this problem. And then I'll go do what God's calling me to do. Right? It's easy for us, I think, to become stagnant in, the, in places where we meet resistance. It's easy for us to just stop and say, this is where I'm supposed to be now. Maybe this is where God wants me. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, about Paul and Timothy's response to that. But if I know myself, I think I would get stuck. I think I would get frustrated. Uh, those of you who know our story know that Rachel and I met each other in college and both felt independently called to the mission field to make Jesus known in places with people who have never heard his name before. Uh, we got married with that idea and that intent in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, we said we're going to stop what we're doing. We're going to serve the local church. Uh, we're going to get the equipping and training that we need to go. And, you know, in five years, we'll be married for five years. We'll have done the seminary stuff. We'll have done all the steps we need to do. And then we'll follow God to where he's called us to go. We get to the end of that, that, that plan and are looking at plane tickets to go to India and get a call from the IMV, our sending agency, who says, hey, we can't send you for medical reasons. In that moment in our lives, we got stuck. We got frustrated we were sure that we knew exactly what God had next for us. 
The people in our lives seemed to confirm that. Uh, we had both felt for years a passion to go to places where they've never heard the gospel before. Uh, we, we just knew the people who were around us were saying, this is the right next step for you. God is, is putting this in your heart. He's putting this in your lives. He's equipping you to go. And all of a sudden, it was a hard stop for us. And it was a hard time for us. And we didn't handle it with as much maturity as Paul and Timothy do. Let's instead, though, look to how Paul and Timothy are working out this calling in an active way. They have three things that I want you to see for how they respond to these roadblocks. First, by the Holy Spirit. Second, by the Spirit of Jesus, right? First, they keep going. They didn't stop and go to Barnes & Noble to find a self-help book for how to get all the way to the place they were trying to go. They didn't go buy a map and look for another way around. They were prevented from going, and they stopped, and they went the other direction. Then they got stopped again. Did they stop there and stay there forever? Did they sit under a shade tree? No, they kept going. The way that they discerned what God was calling them to was not by going and then stopping, but by continuing to pursue what God had called them to do, even if it didn't work out the way that they thought it would. They're active. They keep going. Second, they keep trusting. This is the reason that they can keep going. They're, they're, they're still trusting in God because they have a perspective that even though their plans aren't working out the way that they thought they would, even though they're not going to the place that they wanted to go at the time they wanted to go there, they can take a step back and see that there's a bigger perspective at work. The bigger perspective they see is, again, that Acts 1.8. The ultimate calling on their lives is to receive the Holy Spirit and to go out and be witnesses. And so if God stops them from doing that in one direction, then he's going to open it up in another direction, and so they're going to keep going. So they, they, they have a trust in God that they understand the ultimate, the bigger picture calling on their lives appropriately. And that same calling is the calling that we have on our lives as his church today. We've still received the calling to receive the Holy Spirit and to go out and be witnesses wherever we go. They have the bigger picture in mind, which enables them to keep going. They keep going. They keep trusting. Thirdly, they keep listening. Every step of the way, they're hearing something from God. The text doesn't tell us exactly how they know the Holy Spirit is preventing them from sharing the gospel. They don't tell us exactly how the Spirit of Jesus prevents them from going the direction they want to go. We don't really know what those things are, but they continue to listen, and eventually Paul receives a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. They keep listening because God is working out something in their lives and in their hearts. The first thing that God is communicating with them by their continuing to listen is that he's present with them. Even when the answer is no, even when the direction is a left turn, even when they have to go back the other way and march the other direction, God's presence is with them. And they can look back on this journey later as Luke is writing this and, and can affirm that God was with me in that decision. God was with me when that road was blocked. God was with me as he took me to a different place. God communicates his presence by giving them different directions. Uh, God also communicates something about his person. Did you notice, I've said it about seven times now, who prevents them first from sharing the gospel in Asia? The Holy Spirit. Who prevents them the second place that they go from getting to where they're going? The Spirit of? And who's the text say gives Paul the vision? God the Father. As they listen God is communicating something about himself to them to be recorded for us to learn about God. 
God is communicating that his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, and his presence are all with us. God's communicating something. He's teaching them about himself while he's leading them different directions. Thirdly, he's also communicating that his plan is bigger than their plan. Uh, People who look at the the maps in their Bible while the sermon is going on, they'll tell you, there's there's somebody here who's already looking in the back, trying to trace all these places from verses 6, 7, and 8. Right? If you're looking at the back and you trace all these places out, what you'll see is that God is leading them around Ephesus, which is likely where they were trying to go to preach the gospel in Asia. So if you follow Paul's missionary journeys after this, the direction that God takes him after this, and the places that he goes next, he goes all the way around Ephesus before God brings him into it. The journey that Paul is on is ordained by God, directed by God, and is going to make the ultimate purpose more fruitful later. He's sowing seeds all the way around the place that Paul just wanted to walk into. God communicates something about his presence, who he is, and about his plans being greater than ours. Another thing that sticks out with this text to me is when we finally get to this vision, right, which all of us want to stop at the first roadblock, wait for the vision to come. But when when Paul finally receives this vision of this Macedonian man, uh, we see somebody who asks for help. And Paul's response to that is immediately to say, we need to bring them the gospel. So the help help that the world needs is the gospel. Uh, I watched a lot of TV land when I got ready for school in the morning. And this image just struck me, right? This man, he asks for help, and Paul's response is the gospel, right? But there's a famous TV show, I don't know if you'll remember it, named Lassie. And Lassie was a beautiful border collie, and I think I only ever saw one episode of Lassie, but it's the most famous one. Little Timmy gets stuck in a well, Lassie runs off for help and barks, and somehow the adults in the room understand that Lassie is saying there's Timmy in a well. I'm not really sure how it all works out. But if Lassie had gone and barked at Paul, Paul would have been like, let's go quick. I've got to bring this kid the gospel. If Lassie came and barked at Matt, Matt might be like, oh, hold on. I've got to get my Bible. We've got to bring the gospel to this kid in need. Right now, in the show, they always grab the rope. Right? Okay, that's fair. Let's bring the rope too. But Paul's understanding, coming from his perspective, is that anybody in need of help, the ultimate need that they have, you, me, or Paul himself, the ultimate need is the gospel. Uh, if, if Paul found the Macedonian man in a well, he would definitely throw him a rope. But he would use it as an opportunity to share the gospel. Our neighborhood Facebook page is the only reason that I'm on Facebook. It's an amazing thing where people complain about young teenagers Uh, and also ask for things like casserole dishes. But if you post in our neighborhood Facebook page and be so bold as to put your address there and say, we need a casserole dish. Does anybody, can anybody help us out? We've got family coming over. A casserole dish just appears on your doorstep, right? Sometimes uh, we, we like to complain about the pool being closed too early, right? All these things, my wife knows this well, right? Our, our neighborhood Facebook play, page is a beautiful place. But what if when somebody was asking for a casserole dish on your neighborhood Facebook page, you understood that this is actually an open door for the gospel. Paul sees somebody in need, and his answer is gospel. When we see somebody in need, are we quick to throw a rope and then forget about the gospel? It's a both-and thing, I think. 
that the places that God has placed us, the people that he's called us to, the people that we're in community with, whether they're in our home or in our neighborhood or across the world, that are calling out for help, we can help their physical needs. In fact, James would tell us that we're missing up if we don't do that. But we have to have Paul and Timothy's perspective. That the real need is the gospel. Paul and Timothy have a perspective from uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. This is the gospel in, in two verses where Paul later writes to the church in Rome, it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification as the gospel in a verse. What the Macedonian man needs most is the one who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. They need the good news that we have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, but there's someone who's paid that debt for us. He was delivered for our trespasses, and not only that, he has life to offer us through justification. That's what the Macedonian man needs most. That's what Paul understands, and that's what we need to understand when people are calling out for help from us. The help that the world needs is first and foremost and last the gospel. Finally, I just want to leave, leave you with something that convicted me. I think it's really easy to fall into two camps when I read through the book of Acts. I find myself in both of these places in almost every passage. One place is, yes, Paul and Timothy were great. God had a special anointing on their lives. They were clearly special people. They understand they're supposed to be going and sharing the gospel. I should do that too. I need to trust God. Great. I get it. And it'll be easy for me to hear a sermon and walk out with that in my mind, like, okay, Paul and Timothy are great. I should be like them. But that's not what I'm trying to communicate today. The other way that you could walk away from this passage is to be frustrated, wondering why lightning bolts aren't striking in your backyard to spell out what you need to do. Wondering why God hasn't given you a vision of a Macedonian man so you know you need to go be a missionary in Greece. It's easy to say, why isn't God doing that for me like he did for them? I think that's also a misstep of handling this passage. When I try to find myself in this passage, find what this passage is, is trying to communicate to me, I find myself in the Old Testament. I find myself trading comfort for calling. I find myself in Jonah chapter 4. If you remember the story of Jonah, you don't have to flip there right now, but Jonah is four chapters long. Everybody remembers the big fish, right? The big fish swallows Jonah up, spits him out on the shore three days later, right? Everybody remembers the fish. But later on in chapter 4, there's something I think that's even more interesting that happens, right? What we know about Jonah in summary is that he did not want to go where God called him to be, which was Nineveh. He didn't want to go because his people, and he in particular, hated the Ninevites. They were the enemies of the Jews, and God said, go and preach a message of repentance to them. And he fled away. Well, eventually, you fast forward through the fish, right? Eventually, we get to the end of the book of Jonah. And what the scripture tells us is Jonah spends one day walking into a city that's described as a three-day journey to get across. Okay? So he might be a third of the way in at most, a third of the way into the city. And then he preaches from what we have recorded an eight-word sermon that's basically repent or die. I took his eight and condensed it to three. You're welcome. Repent or die, and then he leaves the city, finds a hill to sit on, and sits down to watch to see if God's going to destroy the people who he hates. So he fulfills his calling, but maybe not in the most full-hearted way. 
and then sits to wait to see what God's going to do next. While he's waiting to see if God is going to destroy the city that he hates, God raises up a plant overnight to provide shade for Jonah. And Jonah sits under the shade of that plant the whole next day, watching over Nineveh. The next night, God kills the plant, and Jonah's sitting out in the sun on the same hillside, watching over Nineveh all day with the sun beating on his head, and he looks up to God and says, you might as well kill me. You're going to forgive these people. You've taken my shade. You've taken the comfort that I had. I've done something I didn't want to do, but I've did what you called me to do. You might as well kill me. The problem in Jonah's heart is that he loved the comfort more than he loved the people God called him to. And I find myself too easily falling in love with the shade that God has provided for me and my family to risk going out into the sun and doing what God's called me to do. I find myself loving the shade, loving the comfort, the good things that God's provided for me, loving the place that I live, loving the people that we get to be around, loving the comfort of not pressing into relationships where I know the other person needs the gospel. I get comfortable in that shade, more comfortable, and then I'll start to love the plant, love the shade more than I love the people that God has called me to, more than the people God's called you to. Because again, we share the same commissioning act that, that Peter, or that, that Paul, and that Timothy, and that Luke, who's now with him, all understood. For those of us who have received the Spirit, the call on our lives, the call on, our, on us, is to go out and to be witnesses wherever we go. But if you're like me, it's too easy to fall in love with the shade. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask you to, to pray on your own as well, that God would do a work in us as a church, but us as individuals to help us to love and be burdened for. The, the thing that God calls Jonah to task with is you love the plant more than you love the people. You love the situation you're in more than you love the people. God, would you please help us to take that away? Father God, we come before you encouraged by the faithfulness of Paul, encouraged by the faithfulness of Timothy, Lord, would you just give us a love for the people that you called us to, whether that's in our homes, in our neighborhoods, or across the world, would you make it clear where you're calling us and make our love for them more appealing? Or make our love for you more appealing than it is to sit in the shade. Lord, do a work in our church, do a work in our heart, help us to see the bigger picture. Help us to receive the power of your spirit and to be your witnesses wherever we go. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.